But of course, it's Mother's Day today. And uh, we were able to wish Ainsley her very first ever happy Mother's Day. And um, I'll, I'll tell you, this is how God works. You know, God is a miracle working God. He's a wonderful, a wonderful God because last Mother's Day, Ainsley had just discovered that she was pregnant, right? And that was so early she couldn't tell anybody. Jeanette walked up to her that day and said, I saw a picture of you feeding a baby in church. Isn't that, is that what it was? Because Ainsley, that was last Mother's Day, and Ainsley couldn't tell anybody because it was too, too early. But Jeanette had had that prophetic picture and shared it with her. So today she's been in church feeding a baby. Hallelujah. That's pretty good, eh? And um, we're, we're sensitive to the fact that there are many, many uh, women and men, for that matter, in the church who have had to face that disappointment of a very, very long wait. And I would always suggest, think of it as a wait, not as something which will never, ever happen. And we're more than happy to pray for folk who would desire children. And in fact, there's nobody I've prayed for to have children who hasn't actually had children oh, amen. over a period of about 30 years and uh, we know one young lady she wound up with triplets after having the first oh, two and she wasn't supposed to be able to have any babies no, five. Five under five. one two and then three all at once yeah yeah so um we believe in the power of prayer you know why because when jesus went to that cross he broke every amen. curse every single curse that's pretty good aid so we want to wish all our mums a very, very happy Mother's Day. And we have a little gift for you. This is rosemary salt. If you like a bit of lamb, it's really good to rub into your lamb before you pop it in there. I mean, we haven't got lamb out there for you, but <laughs> rosemary salt. And uh, there's some sprigs of rosemary here and some bay leaf as well. So they're in a little basket outside. And uh, there may actually be enough for you to take two of these. So do feel free to do that if you would like. Just a little token of our appreciation of all the mums here today. Well, it's that time again. The time that we celebrate all the wonderful women that help us be all we can be. I'm talking about moms. So moms, and the many things you gave me. I just thought that we'd do a heartwarming message for all the moms out there instead of a campy little song. Oh, that I will Okay, okay, okay. You do it your way, I will do it my way. Moms, we owe you so much. Thank you for being she there. She is for tender, sweet caresses. H is for her hands that made a home. You've made a home. You've made a home. <laughs> okay, stop. <laughs> you probably thought that I still, but we had a range in my house. <laughs> that word home, oh, that means so much. We still long to be in your presence. We still long for you to be proud of us. And yes, we still long to come home. Oh. 
Oh. Okay, this isn't working. What? No, no, no. You, you're faking it. I am not. You're forcing the no, tears. No, it's real. No, no, no. This does not work in any way. This works. The song works. But this does not work. I just thought we'd speak from the heart. That's what moms <sighs> want. You know what? Mom always liked you best anyway. Oh, we don't even have to say mom. He's everything you've done to help me. Like that time you helped me find my shoes in first grade and in college. And there was that time also that uh, Tammy Grumbaugh broke up with me. Easy last name, right? But she was really a sweet girl until she broke up with me. And I was sad, but you made me feel better. You brought in some chocolate chip cookies and some milk. And you made, you know what? What can make me feel this way, mother? <laughs> Talking about my mom, mommy. <laughs> and R stands for right, and right you always shall be, right in our eyes, right with the values that you instilled in us so sacrificially, and right in how you taught us to love God and love others. And so, mothers, today we say to you, them all together they spell mother, the word that means the world to me, the word that means the world. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Where do you find those? Ah, it's a secret. Well. We thought it would be fitting to invite our daughter Ainsley on her very first ever Mother's Day to actually share the word with us. So Ainsley, would you like to take the stand? Before I start, I actually wanted to, well, Dad's kind of stolen a bit of my thunder, but um, exactly one year ago, we found out we were pregnant after eight years. Um, and I was reminded, yes, I was listening to um, some worship, I was reminded of this box. Um, I received a parcel, it was like oh, in 2015, something like that. Um, <laughs> And I'd ordered something from America, so it wasn't a surprise that I received a parcel. But what was a surprise is that on my parcel, you can come and look at it later if you don't believe me, but it has on here, proudly packed by Jesus. And it has the description of what's in it as baby products. It wasn't baby products. <laughs> and I know you can explain it away and say, Jesus is a common name in some parts of the world, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he's faithful. And I believe that for each and every one of you, there's things that you're believing for. Jesus has packed those things for you. Wow. And they will come to pass because he is a faithful God. Okay. You know, it took eight years, but we have, you can hear her, um, <laughs> out the back, our beautiful Evangeline. It took eight years, but he is a faithful God. So I just wanted to show you that. You're welcome to come and look at it later, but wow. I, I've kept it. Which Mum went to throw it out when we were doing our big... Because I'm like, no, you can't throw my box out. That's my, my box from Jesus. <laughs> yeah. 
So I'm going to pray before I start. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd anoint the words that I speak this morning, that um, the message would be clear and that it would be from you, Lord God. Pray that our hearts would be open to receive it. Amen. So, um, I am, am an early childhood teacher. Um, and um, there we go. Sorry. That is not how it looked on the computer, but anyway. <laughs> I'm not an IT person, I'm an early childhood teacher. <laughs> and something I do a lot of at work is read books. Um, and I was thinking, um, particularly last week when Dad was preaching about one of the parables that Jesus um, told, the way that Jesus often got his message across was through stories. So I thought that this morning I would actually read um a story. It's called Never Male an Elephant. And um, it's going to be a lesson on faith. So in the kingdom of God, faith is like a little boy who decided to mail his cousin, uh, mail his cousin an elephant. So the book's called Never Male an Elephant. And because you won't be able to see the pictures, um, I'll put them up there. <laughs> One day... I decided to mail my cousin Dilly an elephant for her birthday. Nice, sensible present. So I went to the stationery store and got lots of wrapping paper. Then I went to the hardware store and got a big ball of string. Next, I emptied my piggy bank and went to the post office to get lots of stamps. Then I went to the zoo and got an elephant. There's the string. I covered the elephant with wrapping paper, wound it round with string, and tied a bow. Then I addressed it. The elephant giggled because it tickled. I let my dog Lucky lick the stamps. Then I pasted them on. Lucky's tongue stuck to the floor, so I had to pull him loose. <laughs> then I put the elephant on my wagon and pulled it to the corner mailbox. Then I pushed and shoved and stuffed the elephant in. As I headed for home, I met the mailman and told him about the elephant. The mailman went to the mailbox, opened the door, and then he pulled and tugged and yanked the elephant out. Then he wrestled it onto his cart and putted slowly to the post office. The postmaster put the elephant on the scale, then he stamped it. The elephant went wild. It's like shot out of the wrapping paper. It jumped into the air, crashed through the wall, and ran all the way back to my house. Since Dilly's birthday was that afternoon, I did the next best thing I could do. I tied a pink ribbon around the elephant. Then Lucky and I climbed on top and rode it next door to her party. There you go. <laughs> So, what the heck does this have to do with faith? Um, I believe that um, there's three R's with faith. It's about relationship, revelation, and rest. Yeah. So after reading this book, we'll, we'll now um, explore those ideas. So it's about relationship. Often we slip into um, a mechanical, <coughs> a living, a mechanical faith. Rigid obedience to rules and heartless compliance to what is right. 
It can involve busyness for the Lord, but it's actually usually spiritually barren of genuine fruitfulness, um, thinking that we are spiritual or trying to earn our miracle or what we're believing for um, by spiritual works, entirely missing the fact that it's actually by the grace of God. Doing this can often lead to a self-righteousness or despair, depending on how we feel that we're doing. So obviously, if you feel that you're doing okay, you don't have that despair. But if you feel that maybe you haven't read your Bible enough or you haven't prayed enough, then it can lead to that, that real despair. <coughs> the answer to delivering the elephant was actually just in walking next door to Dilly's house relationship. I'm one of those people that um, I'd much rather send an email or a text message and call someone or visit someone <laughs> or if say I buy something from someone online and they live two streets away I'd rather pay for postage so that they post it to me than have to deal with talking to them you know so often in life that's how we try and do our relationship with God you know really it's about getting real with him and spending time with him but sometimes we'd rather okay well if I do this 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 if I volunteer and do this for him and give to the poor and do this and avoid that actual getting real with him and that relationship with him. That's, you know, sometimes we'll try to do that, but it's not about that. It's actually just about walking next door, being real with him, that face-to-face. It says in Hebrews eleven six, but without faith it is impossible to walk with God and please him. For whoever comes near relationship... To God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. So relationship and faith go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You know, in the fall we see um, that there was a break in that relationship. Before the fall, that walk, uh, Adam and Eve would walk with God in the cool of the evening, but once that the fall happened and sin entered the world, they no longer um, had that relationship. But... When um, Jesus came and died for us, that relationship was actually made whole again. Um, so it can be very easy when you're believing for your miracle or um, you know you have faith for a circumstance to slip into chasing the miracle rather than the miracle maker. It can also um, become easy to focus on faith declarations without actually attempting to increase our faith through a deeper revelation of God's love character and promises. So our faith actually needs to go hand in hand with a strong pursuit of God. The second R is revelation. It's about um, revelation. So there are two aspects to this, um, which is that our faith needs to act from a place of revelation, but also um, <coughs> excuse me, that we need to um, actively renew our mind. Um, in Colossians 2, 6-8, we read, And now, just as you accepted um, Christ Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding noises that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than Christ. Um, the message actually says it like this, and I really love it. It says, watch out for the people who will try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions 
of human beings and the empty superstitions of um, spiritual beings. So the world will come to try to confuse you with empty philosophies, often twisting God's words. Oh, sorry, I'm all right. Thanks. Just a little. Um, so that they sound like the truth, but they're not. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, now I've lost where I'm up to. Um, so, and, you know, they just come in the back of your mind and just give you those little niggles doubting what you believe. It can be easy when you're holding on to hope that God's promises will come to pass for you to feel that maybe God doesn't love you, maybe his plans for you aren't really for a hope and for a future, or that maybe um, his promises to you aren't actually really his will. You know, often you'll hear um, maybe it's not God's will for you. But, you know, if you have a promise from God and you know that you have a promise from God, then it is his will for you. Um, and those noises are from the world. In Romans um, 10, 17, um, it says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. And then in Romans 12, 12, we read, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So faith involves believing what God says and that what he says is completely trustworthy. Um, I've found for myself that filling my mind um, with scriptures that are faith-affirming and faith-building, it actually helps my faith increase. Reading um, these scriptures not just with a focus on getting my miracle, you know, not just the name it, claim it um, thing, but actually on growing my relationship with the miracle maker um, and faithful God. And also knowing... Um, God's word helps when the enemy does come against you and says things you know like maybe God doesn't have that hope and that future for you. You know that his word says it, so that's sure. true. Um, in the Bible that Evangeline was given for her dedication, it's actually one of the best children's Bibles I've ever read. <laughs> I've read a few. Um, it um, actually says this in the recount of the story of the fall. So it says, um, as soon as the snake saw his chance, he slithered silently up to Eve. Does God really love you? The servant whispered. There's those whispers. If he does, why won't he let you eat the nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you. Perhaps God doesn't want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed into Eve's ears and sunk down deep into her heart like poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly, she didn't know any more. Don't trust me, the serpent whispered. You don't need God. One small taste, that's all, and you'll be happier than you could ever dream. Eve picked the fruit and ate some, and Adam ate some too, and a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It will live on every human's heart, whispering to every one of God's children, God doesn't love me. Then it um, goes on to say... When, sorry... Um, you see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him, lost ch children yearning for their home. You know, right from the, the fall, God's words have been twisted to create doubt and uncertainty um, in the minds of his people. 
And, you know, unless you have a revelation of his truth, it's actually very hard to come against those lies. You know, unless you have that, um, that knowing that that's true, when those lies come against you, it's really easy to kind of be buffeted by them and, um, you know, well, maybe God doesn't really have a plan for my future. Maybe God doesn't really want the best for me. Maybe he doesn't really love me. But if you have that revelation, if you've read his word, if you've spent time in his presence, if you've spent time building that relationship, it's much easier to come against that. You know, um, I spend a lot of time with my parents. <laughs> I know they love me. If someone came up to me and said, your mum doesn't love you, because I've spent that time with her, I know that she does. I would be able to come against them and say, don't be ridiculous, I know she loves me. You can't, you can't tell me those lies, I know that she loves me. And that's what that revelation's really about. <coughs> At other times, the entry traditions of men um, will come to you telling you that you need to pray more, that you need to memorise more scriptures, that you need to fast longer, that you need to help others more, that you should give more money, that you should volunteer more. But without revelation and relationship, they're just merely traditions, empty traditions. Um, <coughs> I know that at stages in my own journey um, for believing, for evangelizing, that it was really easy to turn faith um, into a work exercise. If I just fast that little bit longer, if I pray that little bit more, if I recite scriptures more often, then I'll receive my miracle. Now, there's nothing wrong with those activities, but um, they can, as they often did for me, become an exercise in actually trying to convince God to move on our behalf or thinking um, that God responds to your works rather than that he's actually already done the work. You know, fasting and things, those things are good and they're really good spiritual disciplines, but they're not about getting God to move for us. They're actually about um, us becoming, um, I guess, in a better place with him, if that makes sense. It's not us working for it. So when we fast, it's not, um, you know, if I fast for 20 days instead of 21 days, he's not going to move on my behalf. It's actually about us getting our minds and our hearts in the right place with him. Um, so, yeah, these activities can be powerful spiritual disciplines and weapons when they come from that place of revelation, not a place where we're actually trying to help ourselves. So the difference between desiring to learn more about God and more about his ways and character and merely participating for a reward at the end. So, you know, like to get that sticker. <laughs> um, it's a little like the concept of studying um, for a test. You know, at uni, when you're enrolled in a subject, you always had two choices. You could study... Spend the semester studying for the exams and you'd often have people that would be like, will this be an exam? And if it wasn't, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to learn it. Or you could spend the semester actually learning everything that you could about the subject, um, <clears throat> uh, in which case you would still pass the test, but you would actually remember a lot more about it and you would know a lot more about the subject. Whereas when you just study to pass that test, you pass the test but that's about it. Um, so why would we participate in these disciplines of just that narrow-minded goal in mind where we can actually spend time working to increase our intimacy with God and to help um, strengthen 
our spiritual power as well. So while the world may be happy to merely receive an answer to prayer, and you'll often have people that will ask you to pray for them, there's nothing wrong with that. But we actually, as Christians, want to become more like Christ and to learn more about God and his ways. It's also about rest. I'm sorry, the writing's, like, tiny. Um, so we can rest from our labours. The boy um, in the story had his problem delivering an elephant solved when he simply rested and walked the elephant next door to his cousin's house. We read in Hebrews um, 4, um, in one, it's actually 1 to 8 if you're wanting to read the whole passage, but in verse 3, For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, In my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. So that um, phrase, in my anger, I took an oath that they will never enter my place of rest, is actually um, a quote from Psalms 95.11. And it's referring to the Israelites um, failing to enter the promised land, which was their place of rest, due to their lack of faith and belief in God's promises. We read um, in verses 9 to 10 that um, there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labours, just as God did after creating the world. So in our relationship with God, we often try um, to do his part and end up living with worry, fear, anxiety, frustration, no peace, no joy, and constantly striving. We think um, it's a human thing that God needs our help. We meditate on our problem, playing it over and over and over in our mind, worrying, trying to work things out for ourselves. When we do this, in essence, we're actually telling God that we don't feel that he can handle our situation and that he needs our help, which he doesn't. Um, there's a saying, I found this really interesting, the saying, and you all would have heard it, God helps those who help themselves. So it's actually often attributed to the Bible, but... It actually originated in ancient Greece. Um, and a variant of the quote is actually found um, in the Quran. So interestingly, despite being a non-biblical proverb, it actually topped um, Bana. Is it the, um, yeah, so Dad knows lots about it, does lots of um, research. It actually topped a poll in the year 2000 um, of the most widely known Bible verses in America. Not in the Bible. Um, in another poll, 75%, this is again by Barna, 75% of American teenagers polled said that they believe that it's actually the central message of the Bible, which it's not. Um, the statement's actually contrary to the gospel of grace, as it suggests that we are spiritually self-reliant and implies that God will only help us if we work for it, which is not at all what we believe. So that's not to say that um, like the rest of God is a rest from work. It's, I've often heard it said it's actually um, a rest in work. It's a partnering with God to do what he's calling you to do by his grace and leaving the part you can't do in his hands, trusting him to do it. Um, you know, our work's um, often an outworking of our faith. Um, and again, but it's a work from rest, a work that is God-directed not result-directed. So there's that. It's focused on the miracle maker, not getting our miracle. It's a work from a place of abiding and being dependent on God 
and allowing God to work in and through you. This partnering um, reminds me of the Israelites taking the city of Jericho. Um, They had to do their bit, which they probably felt pretty silly doing, walking around the city silently for six days, waiting um, for God's direction. And then on the seventh day, they heard um, from God that they needed to lift up a mighty shout. So they did, and the walls fell. They were then able to enter Jericho without even having to fight. They only had to walk in and take what God had won for them. And if that's not an example of rest, don't know what is. <laughs> um, so the Israelites did their bit, and then God did the rest for them. God isn't looking for us to help ourselves, but to have a radical belief in his son and in his word. So the moral of the story is never male an elephant, <laughs> but remember uh, that in the kingdom of God, faith is about the three R's which is relationship with God, revelation of who God is and what his word says, and resting in God's strength, not in our own. It's nice and short. So time for community.